Welcome to Skeptics and Seekers Sunday Sermon. This is 4S. I'm David Johnson. Let's get started. May I employ you to stop blocking your miracle? That's exactly what Martha was doing when her brother Lazarus died. Jesus delayed his visit. She said, and Mary, her sister said too, if you would have been here, if you would have just shown up, then we would not have had to go through this pain of the loss of our brother. Jesus goes with, with them to the tomb and says, remove the stone. And that's when Martha went logical. She gave Jesus a lesson in mortuary science. She says he's been dead four days, he's rotten, rigor mortis has set in, so he stinks. Jesus has to give her clarification on faith. He said, did I, I say to you that if you believed, you would see? In other words, I didn't ask you for your logic. I didn't ask you for your human understanding or human opinion. I asked you to do what I asked you to do. Because true faith acts like God is telling the truth, even when you haven't seen the result of his request yet. That's because believing precedes seeing. So he told her, you will not see what I want to do behind the stone until you do what I told you to do with the stone. A lot of us are blocking our miracle. We're keeping the stone in front of what God wants to do because we're going logical. We're using our education, our background, our success and our income and we are blocking what God wants to do in the spiritual realm. We're keeping the Lazaruses of our lives trapped because we are too smart, too sophisticated, too technologically advanced to take God at his word and simply do what he asks us to do. Faith boils down to acting like God is telling the truth, acting like it is so, even when it's not so, in order that it might be so, simply because God said so. So I want to implore you again, stop blocking your miracle. I don't know what God and you need God to do in your life, but make sure you're not standing in the way of him getting it done by refusing to do what he's asked you to do. Pastor Tony Evans implores you to stop blocking your miracle. Because God has a miracle planned for you. That miracle you ask for, God wants to give it to you, but he can't because you are blocking it. I'm going to try to let most of this sermon play through. It's 28 minutes, maybe a little bit less than that. And I can't decide whether this sermon is about miracles or about faith. It may be about both. But one thing is for sure. If you're not getting miracles in your life, it's your fault. I played you the last three minutes. It's a little extra excerpt that uh, the pastor did kind of summarizing his sermon, so you will hear some of these things again. I wanted you to hear that summary because I think it was just classic. 
pretty much everything that atheists have said about what Christians believe on this subject, he just summarized for you nicely. And you're going to get a, a little bit of that summary again here at the beginning. Like I said, I'm going to try, I'm going to do my best to let most of this sermon play through. We'll talk again real soon. Here we go. Your eyes, a gift from God, hard to imagine life without them. But you can't always trust what you see. Life is full of things that can't be seen with the naked eye. That's where God comes in. We see a problem, He sees a solution. We see weakness, He sees strength. As you're looking for answers, keep one thing in mind. You'll need more than eyes to see the things that matter. Believing is seeing. Believing is seeing, experiencing the supernatural. Our goal for you, for us, is to not limit yourself to the natural and miss the supernatural. What I want to talk to you about today and what I want to challenge you with today is to stop blocking your miracle. I'd like to suggest to us today, based on the word of God, that a lot of us haven't seen God come through because we're holding God up. We are delaying or denying his supernatural presence into our situation and into our circumstances. Now let me explain what I mean by something that is supernatural. God has natural laws that govern the world. The world works by natural, predictable laws. That's why science is possible, because they can see the laws at work and draw conclusions based on the consistency of the law. The sunrise, the sun sets. The law of gravity, things go up, things go down. First law of, second, of thermodynamics, second law of thermodynamics. There are laws that are predictable. It's the way the world works. But when I talk about something supernatural, I'm talking where God trumps his own laws. It is where God overrules himself. This is exactly, precisely how I have always defined miracles. And if you will recall on the miracle shows that we have done with skeptics and seekers, the Christians will come on, and one of the first things they will try to do is redefine miracle as something other than the violation of natural laws. And the reason they have to redefine it that way is because they don't have any examples of violations of natural laws. And they know that that argument can be easily defeated. But when you've got a Christian, a normal, non-academic, it's not to say he's not academic, but a, a normal guy preaching to normal people on Sunday. This is exactly what they say a miracle is. It's what I say a miracle is. It's what all normal Christians say that miracles are. And the quote-unquote academic Christians are honestly just gaslighting you. So I want to thank you Pastor Tony, for um, 
clearly stating what I have been stating the whole time. He has set the laws in place, but a miracle is when God overrules a law he set in place in order to accomplish something he wants to do. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you entered the realm of the supernatural, which means that you have access to that which operates outside of the natural. Again, this is exactly what I have described as Christianity. It is a, it is a realm where people can imagine that they have entered the supernatural and where they have access to power that can help lift them up from the ordinary circumstances of life. Watch academic Christians try to dance around this, but this is Sunday sermon. This is a no spin zone, no BS zone. This is what Christians are saying directly out of their mouth to people packing the pews. The problem is that we're so tied to the natural, we often misresist or deny the supernatural. Our story is a very familiar one in John, St. John chapter 11. It is the story of the resurrection of Lazarus. I've mentioned that on a number of occasions, but today I want to take you on a little deeper journey into this story. Now to summarize, the whole chapter is about this one story. To summarize, Martha and Mary have called on Jesus to heal their brother, Lazarus, who's sick. Jesus has said his sickness is not unto death, and Jesus delays going to help their sick brother get better. During the interim of Jesus' delay, Lazarus died. Jesus shows up too late. He dies. After saying he wasn't going to die. After they had called on him. We have two frustrated sisters. Martha, the, the verbal one, says, Jesus, if you would have been here, our brother would not have died. Where were you when we needed you? Where were you when you called? We called on you and, and you, you know, we heard the sermon that things were going to get better and they've only gotten worse. Martha, the quiet one, just went home and started weeping. And she too said the same thing. Jesus, if you would have been here, our brother would not have died. That's the scenario of the story up until this point. And if the truth were told, there are many here today who have been disappointed by the Lord. The Lord didn't do what you clearly understood he said he was going to do. When you thought he was going to be in a hurry, he's taking his time. When you thought he answered your prayer, the answer was the opposite. In fact, if the truth be told, some of us believe God actually made stuff worse by his negligence and by his delay and even by his denial, if the truth were told. Verse 38, so Jesus again, being deeply moved within, came to the tomb. Now it was a cave and a stone was lying against it. 
Jesus was being deeply disturbed by the pain, the anguish, the emotion of what he was dealing with in the life of Martha and Mary. In fact, in verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible, it says Jesus wept. So Jesus cried at the pain. He shared the pain of Martha and Mary. But let me tell you something about Jesus' emotions. While Jesus sympathizes with our infirmities, Hebrews chapter 4, Jesus would never let his emotions govern his theology. He would feel it, but he wouldn't let how he felt about it determine what he did. Because his commitment to God's truth had to override his emotions at the moment. So he is crying with her, but at the same, and he's moved by the scenario, he's anguished about the situation, but at the same time, he now seeks to address the problem. So he comes to the tomb, and when he gets there, he issues a command, verse 39. Jesus said, remove the stone. There is a stone, a large boulder over the cave where Lazarus' body has been buried, and Jesus says, remove the stone. He ushers a command that involved action. Martha, mouth, because she's the talkative one, says to Jesus, Martha, the sister of the deceased, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be a stench, for he has been dead four days. She did what most of us do when Jesus issues a command that we neither like nor understand. She enters the conversation with human logic. I'm just going to stop you right here, uh, Brother Evans. Uh, he's about to get into something else that I have been saying ever since I've been talking into a mic on this stuff. Uh, Christians have a love-hate relationship with evidence, facts, reason, logic. They like to pretend that they are using it, but it's only useful so far. It, it's, it's a useful tool up to the point that it starts to conflict with their faith. And at that point, logic goes out of the window. How dare you, how dare you bring human logic to a faith battle? That's, that's how they would see it. Am I wrong? Just listen to Brother Evans lay it out for you. Please don't miss this. Everything she said was correct. Jesus heard her do what he hears us do when we either do not like or do not understand his instruction. We argue back with him with human logic. 
that may be absolutely correct. Your, your facts may be impeccable. You are absolutely correct, Martha. Dead four days, he does stink. Jesus responds. And Jesus said to her, did not I say to you? Let me stop right there. Can't you hear? Are you not paying attention? Nothing will block the supernatural movement of God in your life like your logic. Your edumacation. Some of us have educated ourselves out of the supernatural. We're just too smart for God. Too intelligent for heaven. Too brilliant for the kingdom of God. And so we live with our logic and so we live only in the natural. Didn't I say to you, can't you hear, girl? What did you say to her, Jesus? Didn't I say to you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? Didn't I say to you, if you believe, you would see? Okay, now you get the, now you get the exact wording of our series. Believing is seeing. He didn't say, if you see, you would believe. He said, if you believe, you would see. Too many of God's children are from Missouri. And from Missouri, you got to see it first. In the natural, you see before you believe. In the natural, not so in the supernatural. In the supernatural, if you believe you would see, what would you see? The glory of God. What is the glory of God? It's God on display. Okay. Once again, this is exactly what I have been saying for years about the nature of faith. He spells it out here. Uh, the, um, the way the supernatural works is that you've got to believe it first for you to be able to see it. And belief is kind of like a magic spell. When you invoke belief, proper belief, then the magic happens. Uh, we've seen this kind of magical thinking forever. Uh, in children's stories, I think my, my favorite Christmas story is Polar Express. I, I think that's a beautifully told story, but it's, it's the it's the Christmas story, the Christmas magic that is only real as long as you're young enough and gullible enough to believe it. And then when you grow up, you stop believing in fantasies, and so it stops being real for you. And with the Polar Express, the boy was sent home with a magical bell that kind of kept it real. So. In essence, it kind of dilutes the message a little bit, uh, just as uh, the preacher, he's, he's going to wrap around and eat his own tail uh, here in a little bit. In fact, he already has, but I'll point it out at the end. Um, in, in the Polar Express, 
even though believing is seeing for most of it, he's given this tangible object that can help rekindle his belief. So it's not just believing. He actually gets proof that remains in his possession, even as he grows up. So that's, um, but still that's, that's kind of the pattern of magical thinking and many, 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 many books and movies and TV shows and entertainment. Uh, it's, it's true when you believe it, but adults don't see it because, well, they don't believe it. There was a, there was a scene in one of the Harry Potter movies where uh, they were out in the regular world doing their thing. I think it was I think it was the night bus, something like that. And um, Harry was saying, "But won't won't the Muggles see?" And the driver said, "Ah, don't worry. They don't. They, they only see what they want to see. <laughs> they, they won't see it. Um, it it." all hinges on whether you believe first and then see this is magical thinking 101 thank you brother evans for laying that out for us but honestly i've been trying to tell him that for years glory of god is god revealing himself as god in your circumstance the glory of god is when god advertises himself. The glory of God is when God puts himself or his attributes on a billboard so you can see God at work. But you will not see it in the physical until you believe it in the spiritual. You and I are blocking our miracles when human logic that if, even if it's correct trumps what God said. You have just done what Matthew 13 says. He did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. So you will be limited. I will be limited. We collectively will be limited to the natural when we do not move the stone. That is, when we do not act on what God has said, whether we understand it, can figure it out, like it or not. And that is what often happens with Christians limiting us to the natural because we can't figure out how God's going to do this. We can't figure out where this is going to come from. So didn't I say to you that you would see with your own eyes the glory of the God, but you won't see the supernatural till you believe and you believe by doing what I told you to do. And God is saying, I'll wait. I'll wait until you decide to believe. I wait till you decide that you're not going to just throw facts my way like I don't know what I'm talking about. I created the world and you're going to describe to me biology. Just a, a smallish point here. In his, in his thinking, maybe someone can uh, just put it in the comments. Does, is Jesus really not going to raise Lazarus at this point? If no one moves the stone away, if if no one has enough belief to move the stone away, is he really just going to walk away and say, oh, well, he's, he's going to stay dead? Because then it kind of raises the question of what is the point of this miracle? <laughs> we might talk about this um, 
at the end. I I teased something. I, I fear that I'm going to forget it. So I'll just go ahead and insert it here. Uh, that he's, his argument is going to wrap around. He's going to end up eating his own tail. In this story, Martha never actually believes. <laughs> she, so um, she she doesn't believe now. I mean, she's, she's upset that Jesus dilly-dallied for so long. And maybe if she had some belief that he could raise the dead, Jesus waited for four days. So it's kind of like, well, that that seems like that's a bit long now. That's, that's too long. Rigor mortis is set in. Bodies started uh, decaying. And so she's upset, which, I, you know, I think that maybe she has a right to be. Uh, maybe we'll talk about that. Maybe we'll talk about it in the com- uh, comments. But the point is, she didn't believe before she saw. Also, she didn't move the stone away. Uh, Jesus says, uh, you know, move, move the stone. Mary can't, uh, sorry, Martha can't move the stone. So again, it's, it's not really her faith doing anything at all. Jesus does it anyway. It doesn't seem to be attached to her faith. And so that kind of puts the lie to this message that you will only get your miracle unless you believe. Let me tell you something about the will of God. God has a revealed will. That's what he says in the Bible. And he has a secret will. Deuteronomy 29, 29 says that the secret things belong to God. He hasn't revealed them. Now here it is. You cannot get to God's secret will if you've ignored his revealed will. In other words, if he says move the stone or whatever it is in your situation he tells you to do, but you have to see what he's going to do before you move the stone, you'll never see what he's going to do. Because he'll keep secret his secret will until he sees you believe his revealed will. So if you don't do what you know he said, he won't show you what he's up to in secret in the supernatural realm. And you can't figure it out ahead of time because he's the unfigureoutable God. His ways are not your ways. His thoughts are not your thoughts. Isaiah 55. So you can't figure out, well, what is he going to do? How is he going to do this? Before I move this stone, let me try to figure it out. That's an Excedrin PM headache. Okay, one more. Uh, one more little eruption. Eruption, interruption. And then I'll try to let it go for um, uh, a little bit longer. This is exactly the argument that we skeptics have made about morality as well. Um, following immoral commands of God. And there is at least one Christian who we have interacted with who has declared that they would, in fact, if they knew the command came from God, they would kill their kid if God said, kill your kid. Uh, We describe this as the Abraham test. He would not question God. Uh, He would not ask to see the full picture. He would just do it. He knows it's from God. 
100% certain that this command comes from God. God says, kill your kid. At that point, you don't get a chance to argue about how this goes against your conscience or how this goes against something else that God said or, or anything, how it's against the law, how, how you don't think you can do it. None of that matters. If God says do it, that's his reveal will. And you want to understand what's behind it, his secret will, you just have to do it. You have to swallow your pride. You have to ignore yourself. You have to ignore your conscience. You have to ignore what you know is right and wrong and just do it. This, the same argument applies with that as well. And I think the same objections apply both ways too. Well, I believe it's wrong, and so I'm not going to do it. And the same thing is true when we're asked to do something in the name of a miracle. You're, you're saying, Lord, that I should just jump off this rooftop, and if I do, I will fly, or that I should step off this boat and into the raging ocean waters, and I will walk on water. Well, I'm sorry. I'm not going to do that either. Now watch this. Verse 41. So they removed the stone. So there were people who were brought alongside to help her move something. She could not move herself. Too deep. That's why you need community. That's why you need people around you to help you move stones you can't move. Because God won't move until the stone is moved. So if you cannot move the stone, get some people who care about you enough, who are crying with you enough, who love you enough to put their hands on your stone that you got to move. Please don't put your hand on my stone. Everyone in here should either be getting help to move a stone or be helping somebody else to move a stone. Because if you're helping somebody else, that means you got some folk who can help you. That's what church is supposed to be. And so they help her move the stone. Now, it's going to get deeper now. Because so they removed the stone then. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25, that Jesus is our intercessor. The Bible says in Romans 8, 27, the Holy Spirit is our intercessor according to the will of God. So it has to be God's will, of course. God just doesn't do everything we want because we want it, but there are a lot of things in God's will he's waiting to do after he's seen faith in action. So he says, then Jesus says, raised up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Father, I want to thank you that you have heard me. Let's put it another way. Let me say what he didn't say. He didn't say, Father, I thank you that you are hearing me. 
He does not speak in the present tense. He speaks in the past tense. So let's talk about the doctrine of tenses. Because tenses matter. When Jesus said to the, to the Jews before Abraham was, I am, that tense matters. Not I was, I am, which was the name God gave Moses that I'm God. I am that I am. So tenses matter. He says, thank you, Father, that you have already heard me. Which means whatever he's getting ready to talk about, he has previously discussed. God, you and I discussed this earlier. Well, stay with me now. We kind of get a hint of that discussion back in chapter 11, verse 2. And the sisters sent word to Jesus saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick, Lazarus. But when Jesus heard this, he said, this sickness is not to end in death, but for the glory of God, so the Son of God may be glorified by it. So let's look at what happened here. I thank you, Father, that you've already heard and we've already talked about this. In other words, when they sent word to me about the need of a miracle, you and me, Daddy, had a meeting. And in our meeting, when we discussed this, we agreed that when we saw faith, we were going to do a supernatural work. You and I have already had this meeting. But even though you and I have had the meeting in the spiritual realm, they're not going to see what we agreed on in the physical realm until the bridge of faith is built so that my intercession for them becomes you bringing to pass what has already been agreed on. So why is that important for you to know? That your supernatural miracle, whatever is in God's will to do, has already been agreed on in the spiritual realm. That means you do not have to beg God to do something that is in his will to do. He is not you waiting on God if he's agreed to it. It's him waiting on you to move the stone so he can let you see what was already previously agreed on. It's called the intercession of the Son and of the Holy Spirit bringing into the physical realm what has previously been agreed on in the spiritual realm once faith has been exercised even if it has to overrule logic and correct logic. This is the intercession of God. What a great truth that God stands like a defense attorney between the client and the jury to plead your case about something that's already been agreed on in the spiritual realm. That's why the Bible says he's already been to the end and then he backs up to the beginning. So he already knows where this thing is going, but faith activates it in your experience. Are you trapped? Does the scenario stink? Is the only hope for this thing a resurrection? you qualify for the supernatural. Watch this. 
When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Mm. Notice the specificity of the cry. Not y'all come forth. Because then everybody from the graveyard would have got up. <laughs> what he requested was the specific answer to the specific request. Not a general answer that applies to everyone. When you need a miracle, you ain't talking about everybody. You're talking about it's me, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. You, you, you need him to call your Lazarus, not just some vague answer. Oh, by the way, that's how you know it's God, when he calls it by your name. Lazarus, a specific answer to a specific need in a specific situation predicated on a specific request. Lazarus, come forth. Now watch this, watch this, watch. I don't want you to miss this. Get ready to close it out here, but don't, don't miss this because it says the man who had died came forth. Bound with hand and feet, with wrappings, and his face was wrapped around with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Okay, watch this now. It says he came forth but he didn't come forth walking. He came forth shuffling. Because he was still tied up. He said he was tied up around his legs, around his hand, around his head. He was still wrapped in death cloth. So watch this now. He was alive, but he was not liberated because he was still tied up. Now, he had a miracle. The miracle was what was dead is now alive. So he comes walking out because he's tied up. But guess what Jesus did? He called this small group. He said, I want y'all to untie his legs and I want you to unhook his arms. I want y'all to unwrap his head because I want the other folk to participate in my miracle. God just doesn't want to do miracles that exclude you. He wants to do miracles that include you. You are part of the miracle. He did enough to get it going. He says, I want y'all to finish it off so that you can see how I can use people in the lives of circumstances to do what they can do. I'll get him alive. Y'all can at least unwrap the boy. You and I are participants. That's why 2 Corinthians chapter 6 says, we are workers together with him. He will do what we can't do. He wants us to do what we can do so that we become partners in the supernatural miracle working process. And it closes by saying, and many believed on him. So let me tell you something. God doesn't do miracles just to show off. He doesn't do the supernatural to flex his muscles. He does the supernatural so that his name will be known. Many believed on him. 
That's the problem with a lot of folk coming to church looking for a blessing. They're looking for what God's going to do for me. I want a new house, new car, new clothes, new this, you know, do something for me, bless me. I want my blessing. I want my blessing, my blessing. And then after God does something, he gets no notification, no glorification. You're not witnessing. You're not talking about him. You're not giving him the credit. You're not responding and giving. You're not, do, you're not doing anything. You're just talking about your blessing. He doesn't just bless you for you. He blesses you for his name, his glory, your impact, your testimony, your ministry. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. When you get your supernatural, you better open up your mouth and you better declare the greatness of your God because only your God can go into your grave and raise you up and give you life. You better give him the glory Do his name. Okay, um, and that's where we uh, that's where we began. So, huh, where to start? I've got a few minutes here. There are a couple of points I want to make, so we we might get out of here ahead of time. Let's see how it goes. I want to make a a point about miracles and one or two points about faith. And then, uh, and then we'll wrap it up. Let's start with miracles, shall we? Let's start with a question. Why does God do miracles? That's a, that's a harder question than you think if you've never thought about it. And I can assure you, well, I can't really assure you, but I'm pretty sure that the vast majority of Christians have never thought about it. So just generically speaking, why does God do miracles? No matter what answer you come up with, you're going to find that it is either wrong philosophically or wrong theologically. Except for one that I can that I can think of. But let me let me go through the list of things that you might come up with if you if you give this some uh, some energy. Okay, so generally speaking, why does God do miracles? Well, he does miracles because he has compassion for people in trouble. Okay, that sounds good, right? That sounds like something that God would do. It seems to fit with a, a loving God. Except, what about all of the people who are in terrible situations that God doesn't help out? So that doesn't, that doesn't work. If God only does miracles based on his emotions being piqued, and let's just say that God has emotions. His his emotions are piqued. Then God can be manipulated by situations of high emotion. Brother Evans has told us that God cannot be manipulated by situations of high emotion. He can feel your pain. By the way, he also caused your pain. Um, he can feel your pain. But that's not going to affect what he does. All right. Um, 
And once again, there's the question of fairness, because lots of people are in need. Does God's emotion not reach to them? Does he only have a few favorites uh, that can that can reach him emotionally? So that I, I think that one's out as, as some kind of general rule. So uh, why does God do miracles? Perhaps it is in response to righteous people who ask things in accordance to his will, who also have the requisite amount of faith. What is the requisite amount of faith? Oh, maybe something like a mustard seed. Just pulling that one out of thin air. Um, okay. Well, let's let's roll that one around. That's that sounds vaguely biblical. Except what about all of the people who ask for things who have at least even more than mustard seed faith and that are things that are according to God's will? I mean, Think of all the popes that prayed for world peace. Surely, surely they are pious, especially the ones named pious. Surely, <laughs> if, if the popes aren't enough, let's throw in all of those beauty pageant candidates. I mean, that should do it, right? <laughs> So, all the all the presidents and world leaders who've who've gotten on stage praying for peace, surely, surely. Um, of course, maybe God doesn't actually want peace. I mean, we're just assuming that world peace is a part of God's desire, and it's part of our desire. But His ways are not our ways. And uh, he did say that he came to bring a sword, that he did not come to bring peace. Those are red letters. Uh, okay, maybe um, maybe we can find some other reason. Why does God do miracles? Well, maybe it's to keep faithful people, his his faithful children, his beloved, from being harmed by bad people. I mean, that makes sense, right? I mean, God offers his protection. I mean, look at look at all of the uh, women uh, who have been saved from rape because of something almost inexplicable. They, they managed to get away, or the rapists changed their mind. Their prayers must have worked. And, and look at all of the survivors of plane crashes, especially those sole survivors. But then that's, that's a little bit of a problem, isn't it? Because one survives, and the other 399 died screaming and burning they were Christians, a lot of them. Hell, oftentimes the one who saved wasn't even religious. <laughs> so, um, 
I'm sure there are many atheists who walked away from those situations. And what about all of the faithful women whose rape, well, you know, happened? They weren't saved. And so when women walk around talking about how they were saved, that's got to kind of rub salt into the wound of those who weren't saved. No, I don't I don't think that explains, generally speaking, why God does miracles. So this is this is how it goes. You can you can come up with all kinds of scenarios for why God does miracles. And they all fail with just the slightest bit of scrutiny. But I did come up with one that sticks and it seems to work every single time. You can uh, you can write me and let me know uh, if I'm wrong. By the way, skepticsandseekers.squarespace.com. That's where you can uh, leave your comments, or you can uh, send me an email, skepticsandseekers at gmail.com. Uh, hey, if you really want to get my attention, if you really want to get it, you'll get it anyway. Uh, write me at redlettersbook at gmail.com. What is red letters, you say? Red letters. Uh, that's the uh, main name of my latest book, Red Letters, a closer look at the worst practical and moral teachings in history. It's out. You can buy it wherever fine ebooks are sold. That's pretty much Amazon or my website. But I'd like to give you a free copy. Yeah. Okay, there are some strings attached, but they're really thin strings. They're easy to cut. Go on over to patreon.com slash redletters. Become a member. Get your ebook for free. Now, if you really want to stick it to me, if you just want to stick it to me, stab me in the eye, go over there, sign up, download your free ebook, listen to all of the member podcasts, just kind of binge them, and then cancel your membership. I probably won't see one red cent from you. You got me. It's okay. <laughs> it's all right. Uh, I, I tell uh, my members all the time, whereas you can't share your membership, it's okay to share the book. I want people to read it. But I would rather you read it and pay me. <laughs> Patreon.com slash red letters. Okay. So what is the um, what is the reason that sticks? Well, it's also biblical as it happens. God does miracles to bring glory to himself. That one works every time. You can you can ask in any situation why that miracle happened. For for you Christians who believe that miracles happen. And you can answer to bring God glory. And by the way, that is the most biblical of the answers. God never does a miracle just out of altruism. He doesn't do it to help you. He didn't raise Lazarus because he liked Lazarus. I mean, Lazarus was his friend, but Jesus let him die. He, he let him, he, he was, Lazarus was sick, uh, presumably suffering. Jesus let that happen <laughs> just so that he could come in and strut his stuff 
and bring God some glory because God is a glory monster. Jesus didn't do it because he loved Lazarus. He didn't do it because Martha, that, that Lazarus' sister or sisters, he didn't, he didn't do it because they would have been destitute and, you know, without food or home or anyone to look after them. Because in that side society, they would, have, they would have needed that. He didn't care about their situation. Um, that is not why he did it. Perhaps Lazarus was on the city council and the town was going to fall apart if, if Lazarus died. Maybe, maybe that was the city's interest. Jesus didn't care. He didn't care about the town. So why did he do it? Why did he raise Lazarus? What well, says so in the story, and you can read it with, uh, if not all of the miracles, a lot of the miracles. Ultimately, it brings God glory. Now, in this story, this is this is one of the reasons that that you could give. I'm going to give it now. It's one of the rejected reasons, but you might you might want to say ah ah. But in this very story, don't you see? After he did that miracle, many believed. You see, so God did the miracle to increase faith and get people to believe. Really? Really? Is that the hill you want to die on? Because that's BS. That, that's, that's BS. That's nice narration by whoever's writing this story. But if that's why God raised Lazarus, he could have chosen someone way more important than Lazarus. He could have chosen someone way more high profile than Lazarus. And he could have chosen someone in a town where there were plenty of people traveling in and out who would have written about it and spread it throughout the world. He could have really gotten some believers. He raises a no-name guy in a place nobody cares about. and. Many. How many is many? Heck, if everyone in this town believed, it wouldn't have been many as, as we number it today. But really, it would have just been the people who are standing around. <laughs> so um, if you really want to say God does miracles, God does big miracles in particular, so that people will believe, well, you're missing a trick, God. That that just suggests that there are certain people in the world at certain times in the world that he wants to believe. And there are other people, way more people, that he doesn't want to believe, he doesn't care about. Doesn't care, for instance, if I believe or not. I got some people that are dead. I I saw their dead body, saw them put in the ground. You can raise those people. I would believe. No, he doesn't care about me. Have you never seen a resurrection? He doesn't care about you either. Uh, what about all the people in Jerusalem? You know, the big city? Uh, yeah, there was the uh, great uprising of Matthew 27, the one that nobody 
saw or knew about, except for the fabulous Matthew. That's interesting. Maybe we, maybe he could have done it in Rome, one of the uh, recently dead emperors or kings or senators. <laughs> that would have been nice. A lot of people would have believed on that. No, this is not about gaining numbers of believers. It has nothing to do with that. And if it is, God's just stupid because he chose things to do that didn't even bring about faith of people in the region. You remember the place where Jesus went? I think it was Nazareth. It was his hometown. He went and he couldn't do many miracles because the people didn't have faith. No faith, no miracles. God is a faith monster. Needs more faith. They didn't feed him. He didn't work the power. But you see, if you're saying that God does miracles to get people to believe, that was the perfect time and place because there are a bunch of people who didn't believe. And he had their attention, but he didn't produce. So, no, that, one, that, that reason doesn't make a lick of sense. God does miracles when he decides that he's going to get some glory. That's it. It's the only thing that actually seems to track across all of the situations. Okay, so that leads us to uh, the topic of faith. This is such a rich sermon if you want to explore what Christians mean by faith. We already uh, talked about it earlier in the uh, sermon. What he means by faith is exactly what every atheist you've ever heard has explained or has suggested that Christians mean by faith. And then Christians get all upset because, you know, we're making things up or we're strawmanning their beliefs. We are not strawmanning their beliefs. They are trying to gaslight us. This is what Christians believe. This is what they are taught in the, in the pulpits. I can play you a thousand sermons just like this. It's one of the most common sermons you will ever hear. This one was just, you know, particularly explicit. And by the way, I wasn't looking for a sermon on faith, so those were just little bonuses. This is just what they believe. This is what they say when they're in their little club meetings talking to each other. They mean exactly what we know they mean. Don't let them fool you. Okay, but let's let's ask a question. Why does God need faith? I called him a faith monster. Uh, in the past, I've also called him a glory monster. He's he's a god that needs more glory. His divine ego must be constantly fed, but he also needs faith, gobs and gobs of faith. The greater your faith, the greater you are in his sight. The more he's fed, the more glory he gets by the more faith you give. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? 
that your acts of extreme faith are things that the God of the Bible feeds on. And the basic unit of currency in the kingdom of God is your faith. You want to be saved? We're saved by grace. Uh, uh, wait, hold on, don't stop. Through faith. Grace, that's God's part. Faith, that's your part. No faith, no save. That's the equation. Now, there may be some universalists out there who would disagree, but I'm not even addressing universalists at the moment because they're, they're kind of a small fraction of the, of the whole. So when I address concerns of youth uh, universalists and extreme progressives, uh, I, I tend to try to do that separately and carve out a spot for that. Right now, I'm just talking about mainstream Christianity. And most any of them will tell you, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Even non-Christians can tell you that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes on him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And then those few Christians who actually read their Bible beyond the verses they're spoon-fed in Sunday school will follow the next couple of passages where it explicitly says those without faith will indeed perish. They are, in fact, condemned for their lack of faith. So why does God need faith? Does that sound like a strange question? If it does, it's only because you have been uh, swimming in the Christian matrix of ideas for so long that it just sounds obvious that a person should have faith if they're going to get some kind of reward. <coughs> but why should faith be a payment for reward? I mean, if I'm going to save someone who's drowning, I don't need them to believe that I will save them. I don't call out to them and say, I will come and save you if you demonstrate that you believe I will save you. What kind of monster would I be if I did that? They're drowning. I can save them. I'm going to jump in the water and save them. I'm not even a good swimmer, but I'm probably a better swimmer than they are because they're drowning and I, I haven't drowned. <laughs> so uh, I'll, I'll give it a good old college try. I don't need any faith from them. A firefighter doesn't need you to have faith for them to run into a fire and drag you out of there. A paramedic doesn't need for you to have faith for them to try to revive you. Advil does not need faith for it to make your headache go away. Faith is not necessary for anything. If faith is not efficacious, faith will uh, can move you to put yourself into a better situation where you can be helped, but it's not it's not really necessary. It's it's watering down the word faith 
to use it the way I'm about to use it. But this is how Christians try to water it down and use it when they're debating atheists, because they know that their ideas of faith are BSC in a losing position. So you might say that uh, a doctor can't heal you if you don't have enough faith to go to the doctor, to make an appointment and go to the doctor. Okay, if you want to use faith that way, I can't stop you. And if, if you say that that is how you use faith and what you mean by faith, I'm not going to call you a liar to your face, but I got to tell you, I've been, I've been with Christians for a very long time, most of my life, and I think you're lying. You're either lying to me or you're lying to yourself. You're not telling the truth because when you're in church, you use faith in a very different way. But hey, let's, um, let's work with you. Okay. I'm a, I'm an ass for calling you a liar. Let's just, <laughs> let's, let's accept that. We knew I was an ass before you started this podcast. All right. So just because I made an appointment with a doctor, that does not actually mean that I believed I would be healed. I made a, an appointment with the doctor, very likely, especially considering me and my personality and my psychological makeup. I made an appointment with a doctor either because my wife nagged me to make an appointment with a doctor and I ordered to stop nagging, or because I've tried everything else and nothing else worked. And so this is, this is just one more thing on the list of things to try. But I can assure you, I didn't make an appointment with the doctor because I thought they could heal me. I don't actually believe in anything. <laughs> so uh, I know that there are certain surgeries and procedures and medications that have had uh, a pretty good success rate with other people. But I got to tell you, when you're in pain, you don't believe anything. You don't believe anything will ever take it away because you've tried everything. And of course, you're going to make an appointment with a doctor and you know, at the very least, maybe you'll come out with a prescription for some good drugs that'll make you not care about the pain for a few hours. But after having chronic pain, and anyone who's ever suffered chronic pain can tell you they gave up a long time ago on thinking that there was a cure. Oh, they hoped there was. And they didn't just go to the doctor. They also went to quacks. Oh yeah, I um, I visited homeopathic practitioners. I bet that's something you didn't know about me. And yes, they're quacks. Of course, they're quacks. I know they're quacks. <laughs> You're in enough pain. Um, I'll I'll visit a shaman if uh, if there's one nearby. Uh, you you need to smear some some snake guts uh on my upper lip. <laughs> Go for it. I'm all puckered up. We'll we'll give it a try. <laughs> so if this is what you're calling faith, Christians, it's very disingenuous, and you should really rethink what you're calling faith. That's not actually what the Bible is talking about uh, when it's talking about faith. So yes, uh, if you believe something enough to act on it, I guess you could call that faith, but you can act on a thing without believing in it. It happens all the time, every day. Martha, in this story, uh, acted on things. 
she called, she sent a message for Jesus to come because she knew that Jesus was a healer. And if he had just get his butt in gear, Lazarus would have a chance. And maybe, you know, for all we know, maybe Jesus was just the closest thing to a shaman that she knew. She had given up on everything else. She tried everything else. Well, let's call Jesus. Because she didn't seem to have a great deal of confidence when he got there. Because A, Lazarus was already dead, and B, he was very dead. <laughs> so the, the process of the point of no return in her mind, that had already been reached. And so she wasn't actually thinking about a miracle when Jesus gets there. It's, it's too late. That ship has passed. She, I, don't, I failed to see where her great faith was, but that's okay. Uh, Tony Evans seems to believe that she had great faith, and in fact, there are other stories in the Bible that are more friendly to the idea of faith. You know, if this person was healed because of their faith. You know, you can see that language in the Bible. And then, you know, those people did not see any miracles because of their lack of faith. So you can you can see that relationship, but you still have to ask yourself why faith is necessary, why God is requiring faith for Advil to work. Take Advil. Advil doesn't care. It doesn't care. Your, your pain is going to be a little better. May not go away entirely, be a little better. The doctor, when when they remove your cancerous tumor, does not give a tinker's damn if you believe your cancer will go away. The, the inner workings of your mind are irrelevant to the doctor at that point. Now, you know, you, wants to make sure you don't depress yourself to death, <laughs> that you have a good recovery. But by and large, he's not doing his job based on you believing in the surgery. It's irrelevant. He's decided to save you because you've handed him enough money. Uh, he's going to save you. Done. Believe it. Don't believe it. Whatever. Don't care. Don't care. Doctors never ask patients, do you believe? with all your heart, that I will be able to heal you. Because they don't care. And you shouldn't either. But God does. He makes it a condition for his good deeds. No faith, no resurrection. If you don't feed my faith hunger, my glory hunger, I'm not going to do it. Now, this is exactly what uh, Brother Tony Evans told us for 35 minutes or so. This is exactly what he said. And it's exactly what other Christians have said forever. And it seems to be exactly what the Bible says, at least some of the time. Why? Why? Okay, we've gone uh, for an hour and 12 minutes thereabout. I think I'll cut it off here. Patreon.com 
slash red letters. Get your free book and uh, enjoy the members-only podcasts and the members-only discussions. Uh, I give you that content, a monthly newsletter. Uh, I'm there a lot stirring the pot. Uh, there's usually a free supplemental or two to, uh, throughout the week. And uh, so come and, come and help me build uh, this community. And also help me pay my bills. <laughs> so thank you very much for your time. We'll see you next week in the pews.